Well, last week, I'm pretty convinced that the passage that we looked at may be one of the most beautifully profound and powerful presentations of the gospel in all of Scripture. I know that's a bold statement, but just bear with me for a little bit. and Let me remind you of some of the truths that we looked at last week, like Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, where it says, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 12, But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Verse 18, now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. What a beautifully clear description of what was accomplished on the cross. But I think and I hope for you that these truths beg a question. What are we to do with all that Jesus has done? Because our passage this morning is going to begin to unpack what that answer looks like. And it does so by describing what it calls a new and living way. Let's say that together. A new and living way. It's really important to grab a hold of that because it is packed with goodness. And even in just the few verses that we will look at together this morning, I hope that you find it is abundantly more than you could ever ask or imagine. It's a new and living way. The author wants us to see how the the fruit of our faith that comes from our confidence in Christ is a, a faith that invites us to draw near into the very presence of God. It invites us to hold fast our confession of faith without wavering invites us into a community of people who are striving together for the sake of the gospel. So before we look at these truths together this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do, I ask in this moment that you overwhelm us with the significance of your truth, with the power of your spirit, with your opening of our eyes and our ears to see and to understand all the goodness that is built into this new and living way, made possible because of a new covenant that came through the one sacrifice that Jesus made for sin for all time. Lord, please, in your mercy and grace, allow these truths to penetrate deeply into our hearts, even mine as I speak. Lord, speak to me. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being in your presence even right now. So we walk in with confidence because of what Christ accomplished. And we are expectant of what you will say and what you will do in and through our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, if you would turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And I would love for you to to read along with me, beginning in verse 19, as we discover this new and living way. Paul, or the writer says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over 
the house of God. Now I want to pause there because we're going to take these things in small bites. There's good stuff here. The word therefore links what's coming to what's already been said. It connects us to, from, from the work of Christ to our rightful response from, in some ways, doctrine to duty or from, from precept to practice. That's what we are now walking into as we enter into our passage this morning because it's already been established the work of Jesus Christ is complete. Amen? And so now knowing that truth, he's going to guide and direct us on what to do with that in our own lives. Verse 14, we read last week that he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And I hope that that word sanctified takes you back to the imagery of the tabernacle that we talked about when we took the tour. You remember? I want you to think about things like that golden lampstand and that Ark of the Covenant that were all a part of Israel's worship experience. These were objects that were consecrated, right? They were set apart as holy. They were purified in order to be in the presence of God. And here's an amazing truth. So are you. So are you. You have been purified to be in the presence of God. Verse 19 says, we have confidence to enter the holy place, which means to be in the very presence of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. So what that tells us is that our confidence is not on anything that we've done. There's a name for that. It's called arrogance. That's not what it is. Instead, we can enter into God's presence because we have been purified for the cross. Remember that verse we looked at with communion. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us from all sin. You have been purified to enter into the presence of God. Now, reading that, you might think to yourself, but how does that work? (laughs) Because if you're like me, I know I still sin. So so the question is, how can I I be cleansed if if I keep getting dirty, right? Well, just by the fact that you ask that question, it tells me that your heart is in the right place. Because we only recognize our sin and have any sorrow or, 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 or regret because of it as a response of the Holy Spirit. So the fact that you even ask that question tells me that the Spirit of God is at work in you. We are sanctified. Our, when, when that happens, when we are sanctified, our heart is repentant when our sin is revealed. We confess our sin and we acknowledge, yes, Jesus, your blood covers that sin too. Thank you, Lord. His forgiveness then motivates us. We don't stop there, but because of our gratitude of his grace and forgiveness, we we want to walk in faithful obedience. It's the cleansing work of the cross that gives us confidence to enter into the very presence of God. Verse 20, again, calls it this new and living way. It's new because as we've been talking about, it flows out of the new covenant. Made possible because of what Jesus Christ accomplished. 
It's new because in all of human history, get this, in all of human history, this has never been possible before. It's unprecedented what we are experiencing, this new and living way. It's living because it's ongoing. It, it has no end in mind. And it all began at the cross. More specifically, at the moment Jesus took his final breath. We see in Mark chapter 15, verse 37, where, where Mark writes, And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And here's what happened. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The barrier that separated sinful man from a holy God was breached. Because now, through the blood of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins that comes through faith in Him, we don't need a curtain anymore. There is nothing that separates us from a life-giving relationship with God. We have been cleansed and invited to walk right in to the very presence of God. Amen? And it just gets better. Hang on with me. Look at verse 22. Look at verse 22. Because of that, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean with an evil conscience, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed of pure water. Our confidence in Christ invites us to draw near to God. And it says here, with a sincere heart and a full assurance of faith. Now, as you hear that statement, I want you to think back to that scene that we walked through together on Mount Sinai. You remember that? When God's people gathered and God's glory was revealed. You remember what that was like? They, they were told they could only approach so far and go no further. And at that moment, this cloud descended from the sky down to the earth. And as it did, it was filled with thunder and lightning and smoke and the sounds of trumpets. And the earth began to shake and the people became so terrified that they begged Moses to speak instead of God because it tells us they were so convinced, having been in the presence of God, if it were to continue, then they would surely die but that's not what's being described here in our passage is it <laughs> something has changed there's a new and living way your faith in Christ it says gives you complete assurance so much so that you've been made worthy by the blood of Jesus Christ this new and living way is not marked by fear you are invited to draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. You see, they were in fear because of the reality of their sin. But we have no fear because our sins have been forgiven. You see the difference? I know this is kind of a silly example, but one of the things I thought of is someone trying to get in backstage to see Somebody, a mega star that they wanted to meet in person, right? They're going to approach those guys in those big muscle shirts and they're going to look at them and say, no way, nice try. You can't get in. Unless that star walks out and says, oh no, it's okay. He's with me. 
And then they step aside and you have full access. Well, Jesus is our advocate as we approach the Father. And he says, it's okay. He or she, they're with me. You're no longer kept at a distance. You're invited to draw near, to come close. You have full access. Verse 22 says, Your heart has been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and your body is washed with pure water. It's telling us this, that you've been made clean from the inside out. Like Moses did with the Israelites, you've been sprinkled with the blood of a sacrifice. But here's the difference. Instead of trying to, to follow God's law and repeatedly failing and, and offering sacrifices as a reminder of your sins, which day by day could never take away your sins, now you follow Jesus, who perfectly fulfilled the law. And his righteousness has been credited to you by faith. That's why you have access. Philippians chapter 3 verse 8 says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Here it is, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. You see, our Right, our mind, our conscience is not clear because we have this impeccable reputation. Okay? Our conscience is not clear because somehow we have these personal accomplishments. What this passage is telling us is that we have, we have confidence. Our, our conscience is clear because of the righteousness of Christ that has been credited to us. That's why. That's the assurance that we have that allows us full access and to the very presence of God. We draw near because of Christ's forgiveness, not because of our faithfulness. Amen? It gets better. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. First, we were invited to draw near. How, now we are encouraged to hold fast. And when you hear that phrase, I want you to think of, of, of a tight grip on something that's really important to you. What it reminded me of is when we had young boys and we would walk into crowded places, I would have a tight grip. I would hold fast to my boys' arms because they were very important to me. And I wanted to make sure they were secure in my grip. That's the same idea here. It says, we hold fast to the prized possession of our hope-filled confession. What we're doing here is that we're holding fast to the hope of our salvation. It's the assurance of our eternal security. Again, not based on my performance, but it's based on God's promise. We see that in verse 23. It says, for he who promised is faithful. He's faithful, even when we're not. And he goes on, and I want you to kind of understand the, the significance of this. Just, let's just think for a minute of just a sample of some of the promises that were spoken by Jesus, our Savior. He promised his forgiveness, didn't he? He promised his peace. In John 14, 27, it says, peace I leave you. 
My peace, think about that, the peace of Jesus Christ, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, so do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let it be fearful. Remember, there is no fear when you have full access to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus promises His Holy Spirit. Jesus promises eternal life. Jesus promises an eternal home. He says in John 14, verse 1, Do not let your heart be troubled. There He says it again. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. He says, In My Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself, that where I am... There you may also be. That is the confession of hope that we are holding fast to. Because he who promised is faithful. Our hope is anchored in the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, enthronement, and intercession of Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen? I mean, that's where our anchor is. That's what we hold fast to. That's why we're secure. It gets better. Turn to verse 24. And let us consider how to stimulate one another towards love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as the day draws near. First, let us draw near. Second, let us hold fast. And now, let us consider. And I believe when we look at these three statements in particular, they they answer that question of, because of what Christ has done, what shall we do? And I think these are commands that we are called to as a response to our confidence in what Christ accomplished. We are called to draw near. We are called to hold fast. We are called to consider. How to encourage one another towards love and good deeds. The New American Standard says to stimulate one another. The NIV says to spur one another on. The ESVN says to stir up one another. The original language, it literally means to sharpen. To sharpen. It makes me think of Proverbs chapter 27 verse 17. As iron sharpens iron. So one man, so one woman sharpens another. Which tells me, and I think this is important, this is more than just a a friendly text. It's more than an encouraging email. Here's what this is. Iron sharpens iron. This is life on life. That's how this happens. Life on life. This This is a willful decision by God's people to enter into intimate community. With God's people. That's why the author goes on to say, don't forsake it. Don't forsake your gathering together as is the habit of some. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. We were created from community for community. It's part of God's design for his people. It's, it's part of the recipe of how we flourish through our faith in Christ. So much so that our, the strength of our faith Don't miss this. The strength of our faith is directly tied to the depth of our fellowship with one another. And the author acknowledges, look, this is something, even in the early church, 
that people seem to overlook. Don't forsake your gathering together. Now, for them, it was mainly due to fear, I believe. And, and quite frankly, a legitimate fear. Because remember, as we opened up our study of Hebrews, we were reminded that these were people in the midst of persecution. Okay? There were people being wrongly arrested, wrongly thrown in jail, wrongly killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. So there was some fear, legitimate fear. Would you agree? And, and so for... Many of them, they were considering the possibility of withdrawing from the fellowship in order to remain safe. But that's really not an issue for us, is it? Or maybe it is. And not because we're persecuted, because let's be honest, that rarely happens for us. In fact, our constitutional rights allow us to assemble together. Praise God for that privilege. But I think there's plenty of ways that we can play it safe. Especially now that technology allows us to bring what happens on a Sunday morning right there into your own comfortable living room. And we can convince ourselves that we can be connected without being physically present. But that's not really what I have in mind because I do know that there are people who are homebound who would be there, be here this morning if there was any possible way. But again, I just talked to Raj this morning. He's got to be with David. Most of the, He comes once a month because otherwise he's there with his son, which is where he should be. And he stays connected with us in that way. But he told me this morning, didn't you, Raj? It's not the same as it is being here. Don't forsake your gathering together. That's, that's not what I had in mind. What I have in mind is the decision to play it safe by choosing to be private. It's an unwillingness to open up your life to other people. And I want to be sensitive here. Because I want to recognize the fact that some of you have been deeply hurt by opening up your life to another person. Some of you have been hurt because you've opened up your life in the church. And let me tell you, I mean this. I'm so sorry if that has been your experience. Because there's been way too much of that in and through our church in recent years. Not this church specifically, but the, the church at large. We read stories about this all the time. It breaks my heart. And I'm so sorry if that's been your experience. But at the same time, I think we could all agree that for any of us to enter into any depth of intimacy in any relationship, it requires risk, doesn't it? We can't eliminate that fact. You can't love the real me unless you really know me. But with that risk comes great reward. I've, I've shared with you some of the things that I've struggled with in my own life and I've told you and I'll tell you again that I know for a fact that there are pastors who have lost their jobs by choosing to do that. To be vulnerable to their congregation. It's happened. I promise you it's happened. It's risky. But I want you to know what an incredible blessing it has been to me. Because I've been so loved and cared for by this gracious church family. I've been so loved and cared for by my own wife, having opened up my life to her. I know, we're all far from perfect. We know that. 
There's not a person in this room who doesn't realize that they have flaws, right? But there's no greater place of healing than being fully known and still fully loved. Is that right? There's no greater place of healing than being fully known and fully loved, being honest with others and still being accepted. I remember Lynn's testimony when she talked about the fear of opening up to someone and how they might respond. And when she finally built the courage to do so and they didn't run away, it brought more freedom and healing than she'd ever thought possible in that moment. Because she was fully known and yet still fully loved. It brings healing in your life. But that's part of God's design for the church. That's the way he intended it to be. If if this is not a safe place, then there's something desperately wrong. This has to be a safe harbor for people to find healing and hope. See, when we gather as God's people, we should have expectant hearts, okay? Every time you walk in those doors and you enter that, this place, I want you to have an expectant heart. I want you to expect to encounter the living Christ in a very unique and special, powerful way. And, and yes, I know you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I get that. You also don't have to live together once you're married, but it sure helps both relationships when you do, right? Am I right? Relational intimacy requires physical proximity. You have to be together. And if you can, you should. Martin Luther once said, at home, in my house, there is no warmth or vigor in me, but in the church, when the multitude is gathering together, a fire is kindled in my heart, and it breaks its way through. Amen. that's my prayer for you. I truly, sincerely desire that for you. Gathering as God's people is how we guard the treasure of God's truth. Gathering as God's people is how we share the blessing of God's Spirit. Because the Scripture makes it clear that each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit, not for our own personal well-being, but for the common good. We were created to be interdependent on one another. By God's design, we flourish in our our faith when we gather together. So in closing, I want us to apply what we've learned this morning. The author's kind of set it up for us, hadn't he? He's given us three very practical things that flow out of our confidence in Jesus Christ. The first one being a decision to draw near with full assurance. So let me ask you this question, and I want you to consider this. What keeps you away from being in God's presence? Is it busyness? Is it boredom? Be honest. Is it fear? Or maybe guilt? Or maybe shame? Well, instead of focusing on any of these obstacles that might stand in the way, I want to just shift your attention and, think, and ask you to think about Jesus who has made a way. A new and living way. I want you to consider what it means to be invited into the presence of God. 
And, and here's something I want you to take special note of. This is the miraculous work of the new covenant promise. Here it is. That presence of God that we are invited to enter into actually resides in you. Okay? You're invited into the presence of God and that presence actually resides in you. And so God is just asking us to acknowledge what's already there. Drawing near is being still. Drawing near into the presence of God is being still in the presence of God who resides in you as you speak to Him through prayer. As you hear Him speak to you through His Word. As you are made clean as you confess. As you are strengthened by His promises. Drawing near begins with being still. Being willing to listen. But it also is a commitment to hold fast. I want you to think about this one like being in a boat that is easily drifting as it follows the current, but you're going to set down an anchor so that your boat doesn't just go with the current, and that anchor is Jesus Christ. That's the hope of your confession. That's what keeps you steady. I know for me, what that means personally is that I have got to regularly preach the gospel to myself. Okay? I've got to remind myself of the faithfulness of God's forgiveness. I've got to remind myself of the freedom from the enslavement to sin that is promised through this new covenant reality. I've got to remind myself of the hope of the abundant life, of being filled with joyful gratitude. I've got to preach the gospel to myself. But at the same time, I can't do this by myself. God created us to be interdependent upon one another. And so I need you to preach those gospel truths to me as well. In fact, my understanding of God depends upon my relationship with you. Because if you think I'm standing up here because I have all the answers and I'm somehow different than you, then you are desperately wrong. Please do me a favor and speak truth into my life as faithfully as I'm trying to speak it into yours. I need it just as much as you do. Remember, as iron sharpens iron, so one man, so one woman sharpens another. Life on life. Honest conversations. Being brave enough to be vulnerable. And then gathering as God's people as we draw near into God's presence together with expectant hearts. Seeing how our worship draws us into the very presence of God and allows us to experience the very fullness of God. How we are ministered to one another by the very spirit of God that resides within us. So that we leave this place giving glory to God for all the great things he has done. And we take that into our week and we live life on life together. Spurring each other on to love and good deeds and even more as we see the day drawing near. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for packing some incredible truth in just seven verses. What a privilege to know that because of what you've accomplished, there are some magnificent new and living ways in which we now live 
because of our confidence in what you have accomplished on the cross. We can draw near to the very presence of God. There is no barrier. There is nothing that stands in the way. And not only that, we can enter your presence because your presence is already entered into us and all we have to do is be still. Be quiet. Listen. Hear your word. Confess our sins. Receive your grace. Walk in obedience. Father, thank you for the promise that we have a hope that is steadfast, immovable, unshakable. Our anchor is Jesus Christ, and we hold fast to him. And Lord, thank you for the privilege. Lord, perhaps because it's so common, we lose sight of how important it is, the fact that we can gather together. So if we can, may we not forsake the privilege of being with each other, experiencing in unique ways that are just not possible on our own what it means when God's people gather together in worship and praise. So Lord, as we do that this morning, as we finish up our service, I pray that we take this heart throughout the week. We share it with one another as we spur each other on to love and good deeds. And then we come back on Sunday and we enter into the blessing of this fellowship once again. We pray this in your name because of our confidence and all that you've accomplished. Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I used to tell my kids when I had something really important, look at my eyes. Look at my eyes. I love you. I love you. And I want to walk this new and living way with you. Drawing near into the very presence of God. Holding fast to the confession of our hope. Gathering together as a privilege of God's people. Singing praise and glory to His name as we long expectantly for His return. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for this family. Thank you for the privilege we have to gather together. I thank you, Lord, that we draw near to your presence, not because we have to go to a certain place, but because you are present within us and we are just called to be still, to live simply, to walk humbly, to love mercy, and that we would share life on life together as God's people in a world that is not our home. But we look expectantly for the day that you take us to the place that you have prepared. Until then, we go boldly in your name. The name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great day.